0: We have State of the Division for Thursday, June 16th. I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein, managing editor at Just Baseball. Got RM Leighton, founder of Just Baseball here, and the host of the Just Baseball show, The Call Up, and much more. Uh, The Atlanta Braves are pretty good again, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean, we had a feeling this was going to happen, right? I mean, these are the defending champs. They did the same little uh, trick on us last year, uh, being 500 when Ronald Acuna goes down, and uh, they're starting it a little earlier so far this season. I mean, all of a sudden, four games behind your beloved Mets, Uh, that that lead seems to be dwindling a little bit, and. I don't know when the Mets-Braves series comes up, but when that comes around, that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think there's one in the middle of July. Uh, And, and, you know, I I think a lot of of Mets fans are panicking right now, but you look at the Mets, and they're still the top team in the National League. I think instead you have to just appreciate what the Braves are doing. I mean, they're 10 games over now. They're one of the best teams. I mean, they're only a couple games back from not only the Mets, but all the other top teams in this um, league here. And you look at some of the stats over this winning streak. One of the things we talked about in one of our episodes was Adam Duvall and Austin Riley needing to get it going. They both have five home runs over the last 15 days. You look at Michael Harris. He's hitting 373 over his last 13 games played. Uh, You know, Ronald Acuna is being Ronald Acuna. They're getting great production from their catcher. So suddenly this offense looks like an absolute
1: juggernaut again. So the two things you hit on right there, I think that are really important is, Adam Duvall's hitting and Michael Harris. And those two things I think are kind of, kind of coincide with each other because Michael Harris is an elite defensive center fielder uh, and right away helps you in that regard. He's also a great bat-to-ball guy with speed that kind of sets sets the tone but also can sneak out 20 home runs, I think, at his peak. Here's the thing. I think moving Adam Duvall from center, who's capable out there but not an everyday center fielder, right? Like that's a guy you throw there in a pinch or late in the game because he had to move things around. He was out there every single day, and that's a daunting task for a 32. How old is he, 32? I don't know, 31?
0: A guy that's been in
1: the league for a while. 33, Uh, actually. 33-year-old who has never really regularly played center. Now kind of undertaking that. He's a streaky hitter as is. I don't think it's a coincidence that the second he moves from center, he's swinging it better now. So not only do they get better defense in center, another bat that really is consistent in their lineup, at least right now, with with Harris – They also get more out of Duvall, and I think that's a big part of it as well.
0: Yeah, I think it is for sure, and obviously they're getting great pitching. Uh, Spencer Strider uh, has been a revelation for them. What have you seen from
1: him as a young pitcher that maybe could establish himself as a real, like, frontline guy even in this. I rotation. think he's, I think he's for real, man. I really do. And and I thought they were going to use him in more of that like Kopech role going in and just seeing if he can develop more into that starter and be more of that well-rounded guy. But I think we're starting to see now that he can just dominate with the fastball and slider so much that, you know, he can be that guy that eats pretty, <laughs> a pretty good amount of innings. And uh, I mean, on top of that, they, they get Kyle right back and he continues to do what he's doing. Um, you know, even with Charlie Morton not being Charlie Morton, when you have Strider stepping up, Freed pitching like an ace, and then Wright doing what he's doing, he's pretty much just replaced Charlie Morton's year last year. So uh, there's a lot to like there. And then, I mean, Spencer Strider, you, you can talk about, you know, maybe it being a hot start, but all of a sudden this guy's thrown 44 innings and he's yeah. punched out 68. And, I, you know, it's the walks that could do him in, 21 walks and 44 innings. And that's always been the question. And that kind of the reason why, we haven't seen him full-fledged into the rotation all the time from the get-go, but it just gives them another weapon here, and, and we know how good that bullpen can be uh, with Kenley starting to show some signs of life too.
0: Yeah, it's the, we always said they had the bullpen to do it. We thought they had enough pitching. Now the offense is clicking, and you're seeing them rack up wins. If I was going to poke a hole in it, though – As the Mets fan on on the show today, I will say you got the first game of this winning streak was the final game of a series against the Diamondbacks that they lost, actually. And then go to Colorado four game sweep. Uh, They have a homestand where they played the the athletics for two and the pirates for four sweep that and then go into Washington and sweep the Nationals. So nothing but sub 500 teams. They're about to play the Cubs. So maybe this extends out to a 17 game winning streak but I do think we have to see them do this against some of the better competition. They have the giants coming up, the Dodgers coming up. If they can sustain this and win some of those series, then I think we're really looking at this Braves team and saying, this is once again, one of the powerhouses in the national league.
1: I, I, I'm with you. And I mean, we also, I, the, here's the interesting thing with the Braves. The last thought I have on them is you have kind of these, these guys that we weren't expecting to step up, stepping up too. I mean, we know yeah. Dan Swanson's a good regular and we've used him as the barometer for average, right? But like he, we can't anymore. I, I think you look at this guy now sitting 295. We just talked about this on the Just Baseball show. Sitting 295, 362, 470 while playing elite defense at shortstop. On pace to shatter his career high for stolen bases, should make a push towards his career high for home runs. I, this guy's really making himself some extra money in a contract year. And then William Contreras doing what he's doing is just hilarious as well. I mean, the fact that this guy has nine home runs and 106 plate appearances, they're nuts. deep. <laughs> They're good. And I mean, yes, they lost Aussie Albies, but Aussie Albies had a 694 OPS at the time of his injury. Yeah. Orlando Arcia has filled in just fine. <laughs> if anything, he's been giving them a little bit more lately. Uh, so this team is going to be really good. And Marcelo Zuna is even starting to show signs of life. So I'm very interested to see how they continue um, and what moves they might make at the deadline, because we know the deadlines will put them over the top last year. And that's where I'm fascinated is how are the Braves going to keep up with the inevitable uh, aggressive approach that the Mets are going to have to the deadline? I, like, we know the Mets are going to do something. We know that they don't need that much, but they're going to do something because Steve Cohen doesn't care about the luxury tax as we know. Uh, and also, you know, this is a team that feels like they can do it now. I think the Mets are going to make some moves. How do the Braves keep up?
0: You know what? That's honestly a, a really good transition to something I wanted to talk about with you when it comes to the Mets and it's our guy, Mark Vientos. You look what what he's done over his last 24 games. He's hitting 330, 414 on base, 703 slugging, has 10 home runs. Uh, he's looking like the guy we saw last year put up those monster numbers that had him so high on your top 100, some that we've talked about a bunch. I look at the Mets right now, and I wonder, I think they're going to keep him in Syracuse probably until the deadline because you can really see him enhance his trade value, and he could be the piece that gets you whatever you need or the other way you could go about it is you could take JD Davis who I wrote about this week and you can replace him with Mark Vientos who actually gives you that home run pop. Because what I talked about in that article is as great as JD uh, is when it comes to expected metrics, he's a flawed player in that he hits the ball 95 miles per hour directly at the feet of a center fielder. And as great as singles are, they don't really, you know, produce as much offense as someone like Vientos who can go yard at any time. So what do you think the Mets should do here when it comes to Vientos? Is it this is his season? Is it stash him? What do you think here?
1: It's tough because, you know, you could see Mark Vientos come up and, you know, have his ups and downs, right? And and, and this is not a team that can really deal with the ups and downs of a rookie. Uh, JD Davis has been fine. A lot of singles, like you said, and I think for a DH, you want a little bit more slugging and a little bit more in that department. I think you can go out and get that relatively easily. So I think that they should replace uh, what they're getting right now, or at least upgrade what they're getting from, from that DH spot. Cause that's where Davis is getting most of his run, right. Is yeah. he's in that DH spot, your DH can't have a 7.21 OPS. I, it's just, that's just not what I, what I'd be looking for here in the Mets. From top to bottom, they only have one dude with double-digit home runs, and and that's Pete Alonso. And I I know you got Lindor with nine, but they could use probably a little bit more power uh, in terms of just a guy that can leave the yard at any given time. And Because uh, you look at Marte, you look at Nimmo, you look at Canna. I love those guys. I love the way they play. Even McNeil, they're all great hitters, but they're not guys that can leave the yard any given time. And I think at some points, the Mets have to sc- break together a lot of hits and hope that Lindor or, uh, you know, Alonzo leave the yard. So I would like to see them go get, you know, a DH, a big bopper. And, and, and I don't think it would be that steep, but I would, I would think that Vientos is best serving the Mets who are very obviously in win now mode as a trade piece, even though I love Mark Vientos, I think calling him up and expecting him to contribute for you when you're trying to win a world series uh, for the first time in a very long time in New York with, with the best team that you've had in a long time. And a guy, a lot of guys with, you know, shorter shelf life. If we're talking about Scherzer and DeGrom, you got to do it now. I think you got to go out and get a proven DH and, and, and throw him in there. And Vientos might be the trade chip that that gets you him. Like you said, he's still just 22 years old.
0: Yeah. He's, he's got a ton of value, particularly the way he's hitting. And I, I think that because of that lack of position, as much as I love Mark Vientos, it makes it more expendable for expendable for this Mets team. Cause you still have Alvarez who could get a lot of run at DH once he eventually comes up, you still have Maurice. you still have Beatty, You still have other prospects um, and, and Vientos as great as he could be. I think he, he's the guy that could be moved at the deadline. And that might be the way the Mets go. Uh, when you look at the Phillies, You had a tweet the other day that literally had me in tears. Uh, (laughs) You were talking about how the Phillies blew a game uh, based on their defense in bullpen, and you said that it was very similar to how when you jumped in your pool today, uh, you had gotten wet, and those are things you expect to happen. Uh, I think that you look at the Phillies, and it's, I mean, there's almost no analysis that needs to be given. They're hot right now. The bats, you know, Reese Hoskins is on fire uh, this month. Oh, my God. Bryce Harper is obviously like showing that if he has the DH for the rest of this contract, he'll still be worth it. And yeah. it's a team that's just rolling offensively, but you still see them blow games. You still see that they can't quite put together the same type of winning streak as the Braves. And I just can't get my head around them competing for this division, but as a wildcard team, I think they're pretty fun.
1: Oh my gosh. We had watching that Marlin series just now. Um, it was two flawed teams. That legitimately just could not close it out. Right. It's, it's two flawed teams that tried to give the game away back and forth uh, in game two. We saw that. And ultimately the Marlins pulled it out. And then in game three, uh, the Phillies struck right back. And that's the funny thing is I make fun of the Phillies for their defense and uh, bullpen. In game two, and the Marlins take that one. And then in game three, I would argue that the Marlins defense and bullpen is what cost them the game. A line drive, sinking into center field. Not an easy play by any means, but I think most center fielders make that play, falls in front of Jesus Sanchez, who was probably thinking about the time he laid out and Kevin Kiermaier had an inside the park home run in Tampa and said, I don't want to do that here in the ninth inning but you got to make those grabs. Tanner Scott has been great in the closer role for the Marlins, but uh, he gets one pitch away and then you get beat by Garrett Stubbs on a three run shot. So it was just one of those series where you see two flawed teams. And I don't know how the general manager of either of those teams, Kim Ang or Dave Dombrowski could watch that series and say, yeah, we're, we're a finished product. We, We should be able to make a run this year. I think you could look at it and say, both teams could make a push, to floating around in the wild card, especially the Phillies by the end of the year. But if you make the right moves, here's the reality of it. The Phillies have their hands tied behind their back because, and I saw it firsthand watching every inning of the last three games, Bryce Harper has to DH. And that's unfortunate. Um, On the positive side, like you said, he's giving you big time production, but you need to give Schwarber or Castellanos a day off from the outfield because those two guys together suck. Uh, I mean, we, we saw Castellanos just, missing you know line drives in the gap trying to cut it off couldn't get there and Cassianos I think it's taken a toll on him offensively now seven ten OPS he's a negative F4 guy so far this year Schwarber's heating up but you know he's a zero in the outfield and Odubel Herrera is no gold glover in center though he is swinging the bat well over over the last few days or well, last few weeks I should say you cannot have three guys in the outfield who aren't great I, I, I just don't know how you can do that and uh, that's kind of where the Phillies are at right now. And it's it was already going to be a horrible defensive team. Now it's super terrible because Bryce Harper is eating up that DH spot, as he has to because of his arm. Yeah, and
0: I think coming into the year when we first found out about um, the Harper injury whatever that was a couple weeks into the season, I, I saw a lot of people saying, well, Harper's not that great defensively. There's a big difference between Bryce Harper defensively and Nick Castellanos oh, in man. right field. I mean, say what you want about Harper, but, you know, he's athletically a step above both of these guys. Yeah. And, it's, and he's also an outfielder. There's something at times that I, I said when, when I was watching, like, a Don Smith play the outfield. And you see a Mark Canna out there, and Canna's done great this year, but in general he hasn't always been the best defensive outfielder. And I said the difference, though, is he's an outfielder. Yeah. Like Castellanos and Schwarber are guys that have been stuck into the outfield because they couldn't field their position where they were naturally brought up, you know, with Schwarber as a catcher, Castellanos show third base. And, and it's just, it's it's so bad. And the thing is, I think now you're seeing the Marlins. Apparently today, the reporters are making a push at uh, Ramon uh, Lariano. Yeah. Both of these teams could use him, the Phillies and the Marlins. So what do you think on that? Could the Phillies even make a push to get a center fielder this year? Or do they have it's just no, no capital? And then what, what about what he could do for the Marlins?
1: So the funny thing about Harper is they moved him from catcher because he was too good uh, in terms <laughs> of like the bat. And he was too athletic, and they're like, you know what? You're better off in the outfield. Schwarber couldn't catch, so they moved him to the outfield where he stinks, like you said. And then Castellanos, could you imagine that guy playing the hot corner? No. I, it would, <laughs> I could not imagine it at this point. Um, but no, to, to answer your question, the Marlins have the prospect capital to go get Ramon Wariano. They had the, the the price would have been cheaper at the beginning of the year, and they didn't do it. Uh, I don't know w- what the price is going to look like. I'm very interested to see what the price is going to look like. Uh, I think what a lot of people forget is they have a dude named Jake Eater, who I think is a really good trade chip uh, that would have been a top 100 prospect on every list. Uh, last year was leading double A and ERA as a lefty. His first year, our leading double A and ERA as a guy that was drafted in the fifth round and just shoved straight to a double a assignment. So like, that's a guy that I think could be a really solid trade chip for them. I think they could put up, put together a deal and go get a Laureano. The Phillies would have to trade one of their two gems, which is Andrew Painter or Mick Abel. And I think they'd be nuts to trade either of those two. Uh, but if you could get a guy with control like Loreano, maybe that's where you can, you know, stomach it a little bit uh, and, and maybe a larger deal that makes either team totally different. And that's the crazy thing about it is on the Marlins side, they're the worst team in baseball at hitting left-handed pitching Ramon Laureano is one of the, the better lefty mashers out there. And of course the Marlins have a big need in center field. Laureano would be a huge upgrade there on the Phillies' side. Not only does, does instantly does Ramon Laureano just take what is the worst defense in baseball and at least plug into one of the most important positions and give you plus defense He's probably going to be ranging about 500 feet to both gaps. And he knows that. And I'm sure he will be able to kind of take over and, and help in a lot of different ways. If they trade Alec Boehm in that deal, too, you move Bryson Stott to third. Like I said in the article that we put out on justbaseball.com, now you're better defensively at third and in center. And I'd argue that you're better offensively, too. So I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how both teams will go about it. I don't think the Phillies are going to make a move with the way that Herrera is swinging it right now. Uh, I could see them kind of staying pat, which is, which is funny. Uh, But the Marlins, I think if they really, really are serious about competing this year, they've got to make this trade for Laureano in the next couple of weeks before the season gets away from them.
0: Yeah. It's, it's two teams that we've really all year been talking about being kind of in that same tier. And obviously the Phillies have done a little bit better this year, but you look at the Marlins and it's predicated on great starting pitching. You look at the Phillies and it's predicated on a great offense. And I think both of them have warts in, in similar spots with that defense, particularly in center field and the bullpen. And so if either of them can make a trade to address that, it puts them over the top. Suddenly, I think they have a better chance in the Walker. I think that's where both of these teams end up, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if we look up in September and there is four teams from the NL East that are in the playoff mix.
1: Uh, I think, I think these teams are going to hang around uh, the Marlins. I'm I'm a little bit worried about bullpen wise and, just the team just can't hit. Sometimes they
0: got to make one move. They, they got this it. current team's not going to hang. But if they make that big trade for, then they'll be in the mix.
1: I really think Gordiano changes things for them. But for the Phillies, they're going to hang around. They, they are. I, their offense is too good. They'll they'll always scrape together some wins every time we think they're dead. And then every time we think they figured it out, they'll 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 start to falter a little bit. They got to bolster that bullpen up. Brad hand is showing signs of life, but Corey Knebel cannot be your closer walking 16 guys in 25 innings. They got to figure it out. I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know how they're going to do it, but they've got to figure it out. And I think Corey Knebel's days as closer could be limited uh, with the Phillies because he has just not looked great.
0: Yeah. They, they got to do something there as well. That that's something that, that they can address even with their, their limited resources from their farm system that you can always find a reliever. Yes. Uh, we should mention the nationals. Uh, we yeah. sometimes might forget. I think really the only thing I want to talk about here is, I mean, Steven Strasburg, it's so like frustrating, even for someone that would, you know, technically root against Steven Strasburg, you just want to see the guy back on the mound. Yeah. And, and you know, he had to, what, one start and once again, there's, there's concerns there. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's the one injury. If there is one, injury you don't want for a pitcher it's TOS so the fact that he he, I mean you're dealing with nerve issues it's just uh it's really unfortunate for them and it's honestly I think the biggest hindrance for this franchise moving forward is he he still owed a lot of money over the next couple years here it's almost similar to David Wright with the Mets a couple years ago
1: yeah it's really sad man because this is a guy that I mean, we saw what he did for them uh, to help them win the world series and really almost put him on, on his back. And I mean, this is a guy that's been a three-time all-star number one, overall pick, you know, lived up to the expectations in a lot of ways. And uh, it's just sucks because he should still be, he should still be shoving. He should still be pitching well. And and I think, you know, with, with health in a different world, he's probably on his track to a hall of fame career. And unfortunately that's not going to be the case for a guy that's just, very injured, and and I don't think his arm's ever really going to be right again. And it was it was tough to watch being at that game and covering that game, and then even speaking to him afterwards. He's such a nice guy, uh, and was just you know a lot of smiles and uh, just happy to be back and excited to work. Yeah, that's just what he kept saying: excited to build on it, excited to build on it. And then unfortunately, you know, does goes to the bullpen uh to a couple of days later to throw and just doesn't feel right and i i unfortunately don't know if he'll ever feel right again and that's really uh really tough to stomach because he was really fun to watch pitch and uh by all means one of the good guys in the game so hopefully he can find a way to to you know reinvent himself and survive in the low 90s and and not you know deal with the pain but it, it was a little bit shaky watching him pitch in, in Miami in that one outing
0: It's crazy if we were to to take a time machine and go back to 2013 uh, to think back to Strasburg and Matt Harvey. And we thought that that was going to be, you know, the top of this division for a decade. And luckily for the Nationals, they, they got what they had always wanted in 2019 with Strasburg. And so at least they can they can swallow it a little bit better than the Mets can. But it is crazy just to think about how uncertain careers can be, particularly pitchers where, you know, the wrong injury. And that could be it for you. $140
1: Ryan, over the next four years for for Steven Strasburg. Uh, So, you know, I don't know how you can really build for the future if you're the Nationals with that deal. And I don't know how you could ever really give him that deal. I know he helped you win the World Series, but uh, you had to know that there was some injury risk and concern there. And then on top of that, you got two more years of Patrick Corbin at about $60 million.
0: It's rough. That's right. And you know what though? The one thing I'll say is sometimes these owners have insurance on those big contracts. I imagine they do on Strasbourg, but also it gives them an excuse where the public sees them pay the money to these contracts and they don't see what they're getting back. And very rarely do they reinvest, particularly when you have a team that is struggling so much where I just don't know what they do. I think they might sit on their hands for a couple of years here and, just let the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, the Marlins—all these teams who seem to be, you know, at least having a little bit more of a bright future—kind of battle it out, and they might just say, "Hey, we got our World Series, you know, and enjoy some baseball," but we're not going to give you much to watch for the next four years.
1: Well, it, it makes sense now when you look at it that, that they traded Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, right? Because yeah. uh, they they knew they had their hands tied behind their backs at least for the next two years. There's no way you're going to build a competitive team with with 50 million annually tied up in guys that are either giving you nothing or, or worse. Cause Patrick Corbin would be better, unfortunately on the IL than he is on the mound right now. And um, yeah, that's, that's just where they're at. So I can understand why they punted, but it, it's gotta, gotta be tough to be a Nationals fan right now. And um, I mean, it just seems like everyone in the division has been beaten up on them over the last few weeks. Uh, and <laughs> That's the thing is the Nationals are that team where it's like, you go to Washington or they come to town, you got to sweep them. Because the rest of the yeah. NL East games are just going to be a bloodbath. It's going to be tough. I even think, you know, the, the Mets, they'll, they'll get the best swing from the Phillies and the Marlins. You know, like they're going to get their best punch. Uh, and, and that's something that the division always brings you. Uh, but you better beat the Nationals. That's kind of, I think that's the vibe. <laughs>
0: I'll be honest. I'm nervous as hell for this weekend series, Mets-Marlins. I, I, the Marlins <laughs> always, uh, they, they always get me nervous. They, they shouldn't, but they do. Uh, so we will be talking about whatever happens with that next week on state of the division. Uh, tomorrow you have the NL central coming your way and we'll close out the week with NL West. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on again today, Arm.
1: Always man. Looking forward to, uh, all of the shit talk when we got Marlins Mets coming (laughs) up next week.
0: Uh, nervous. It's going to go the wrong way for me, but we'll see what happens.